It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you are. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Speedway Show. Today, our topic is naughty or good, here I am. You feel terrible about that horrible thing you did. It may or may not have been as horrible as you think it was, but it's enough to make you hide in shame. You just want to throw yourself on the ground and he's just want to cry. It was so terrible. <laughs> you don't want to talk to the person you wronged. You don't want to see anybody who knows. And you especially do not want to talk to God. But what if this, yes, this is the very time when he especially wants to hear from you. (gasps) I'm so ashamed. I can't believe that I did that dastardly thing and I hide my face in shame. I sit in the dirt and throw ashes on my head and tear my clothes in despair. Some of you will recognize who did that back then. And those of you who don't recognize it, apparently uh, it would appear that in the olden days, articulated in the Old Testament, that was a common way to demonstrate shame and despair. I believe that actually there are a whole bunch of people who tore their clothes in in despair. I think David, in fact, tore his clothes when he found out his son died, his his first son that he had with Bathsheba. Well, the kid died in punishment because he had stolen Bathsheba from Uriah and had Uriah killed because Bathsheba got pregnant. Oops. Um, If that sounds like intrigue, believe it or not, it's in your Bible. Go read it. Um, Who else? Job. I believe, in sackcloth and ashes, and he poured, I think he tossed the ashes on his head. I'm not a biblical scholar, but I find these sorts of facts just fascinating because you sit there and you think, wow, that is some despair, right? (laughs) So if you are sitting in despair, hopefully I'm making you smile just a little bit. But um, uh, we digress. Anyway, so you're sitting in in your sackcloth, metaphorically speaking, uh, parked in the dirt, and uh, sometimes you got to go look for the dirt because, you know, there's not a lot of dirt around some of us some days. So maybe you're, uh, you had to go look for a farm or maybe you had to go look for a playground. But you're sitting there in the dirt and uh, feeling lost and ashamed. And uh, the one thing that you want to do the most is hide. I want to hide from the person or the people that I have wronged. I have. I want to hide from everyone who knows or might find out about this horrible thing I did. Most of all, I want to hide from God. I'm not going to pray because I know he's mad at me. 
I can't really apologize because I knew better even as I did it. If you have listened to, if you haven't listened to it, listen to the two shows I did called Beware the Wicked Whisperer because that is exactly the kind of trouble we get into and now we are so ashamed. Um, I've been sexting with somebody who's not my spouse and I feel so ashamed. I have been swindling uh, money out of the coffers like Judas, and I am so ashamed. So ashamed, in fact, that I'm going to even try and serve my 30-month sentence uh, and turn in my and turn myself in five days early. That is how anxious I am to atone for my sins. I am so ashamed. If you're wondering who did that, that was Jesse Jackson Jr., who we talked about in that show previously. And um, so it happens, right? You see it. You see it in the public eye. You see it in our private lives. And I, I'm, I'm going to bet if you're an adult, you have been through this a time or two. So let's not laugh and giggle because we have all been there. And uh, I know that I have fallen short of, of, of all that I thought was, you know, the right standards. I have fallen short of my father's expectations, my mother's expectations, my siblings, my children, I have just blown it. And maybe I also feel like I can't apologize because I'm really not sorry. And maybe I'm not sorry because I know I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Maybe I'm addicted to something, alcohol, shopping, sex, drugs, something. And I have been down this road enough to know that come tomorrow, you know, I might do well for a little while, but sooner or later I'm going to fall off the wagon and I'll be back down in this muck again. So what else is there for me to do besides hide until this period of my life is over or until I can maybe even self-medicate myself and forget what horrible things that I feel when I'm sober? What I really need to do is get a handle on my affliction. This is what you might be thinking. Maybe it's an addiction. I keep thinking, you know, I, I, I just need to get a handle on it. When I am sober, when I have fixed it, I'm going to go back to God. Maybe you talk to God and you keep running away because you're just waiting until you fix it. And you feel like it's your job to fix it. Maybe the thing that's causing you shame is a toxic or wrong relationship. I know I should not be in this relationship, but I just can't get away from the seduction of it. It doesn't feel quite right. I keep reading that this kind of relationship is not quite right. There is something about it perhaps that is just gnawing at my soul. It just doesn't feel right. I don't like the way this woman treats my children. I don't like the things that I'm hearing about her that they say when I'm not around. I love her to death and I, I, I'm not sure, but I'm just going to stick this out one more day. Maybe it'll get better. In the meantime, I'm not going to go ask God because I'm afraid of the truth that he might give me. I'm afraid that the truth might be I need to leave this woman, but I don't want to because I love her so much. So I'm going to hide over here and put my head in the sand 
until things work themselves out. Maybe I do have certain habits that keep cropping up that I feel I'm too weak to overcome and they're not even addictions, right? Uh, Maybe I have a gossiping spirit. Maybe I have a spirit of criticism that poisons every relationship I have like a cancer. Maybe I have a sense of pride and superiority that renders everyone around me completely defective and deficient such that I can't even imagine how they will ever see the light of God's grace since they have all fallen so far short and so completely beneath me, a mere mortal. Or perhaps I have suffered such deep disappointment I don't even have the words to speak. I have lost a loved one or I have been stricken with a chronic or debilitating disease that is incurable. Or worse yet, I have to watch my child go through that kind of illness and I am just too angry, too disappointed, too hurt, too mad to even want to sit anywhere close to God's presence. Or perhaps I feel let down because God has not delivered the relationship that I dreamed I should have by now. Maybe I have been craving to be in a relationship. Maybe I find myself somewhere close, too close to the middle of my life and I look around and I see that I'm not married. I had expected to be married with 5, 10, 12 kids by now. And so far, there hasn't been even a whiff of an eligible bachelor to marry me in all of my days. You know, how nice is it for those who have at least tasted marriage, even if they've lost the marriage to divorce or death, because at least they had it. So perhaps I'm bitter because I've always been single. I've always been the bridesmaid, and I'm really angry about that. Maybe I have tried to get myself into a relationship with a guy, and it's just been a disaster after the other. Or maybe I feel let down because I finally did get married. I got married to the man who should have been the man of my dreams, and he has turned out to be worse than an ogre. At least Shrek loved Fiona. This man is a troll. He is as evil as a troll. He's as ugly as a troll. And he is just, ooh, chap. He got fat. He <laughs> I actually have a girlfriend who married a guy who she felt like, ooh, man, he is a troll. And uh, he gained weight, so now I'm not even attracted to him anymore. And um, he he's gotten turned into a curmudgeon. How did I not notice he was unkind when I married him? He was so sweet and so attentive and so loving. What in the world happened to my marriage? I am disappointed. I am angry and I blame it all on God and no, I have nothing to say to him. These are all the reasons why we have a tendency to run from God and we don't want to talk to him. I am fearful, I am angry, I am bitter. In every one of these situations, what I want to do more than anything is hide. I want to hide, 
I want to turn away from God. I want to hide my guilt. I want to hide my shame. I want to hide in my anger. I want to wallow in my self-pity, and I do not want to talk to God. I don't even want to talk to the person involved. Or maybe I'm so let down and so disappointed and so angry at God that, you know, frankly, I have decided that until he delivers whatever my heart's desire is, I have nothing to say to him. Unfortunately, for most of us, life throws wrenches like these in our lives on a pretty regular basis. So that if these are the things that stand in the way of our relationship with God, we never get to the point where we are consciously sitting and talking to him. So if you are in this situation today, I wanted to talk to you about that. Let me be the first to tell you I'm not a pastor. I am not a rabbi. I have never been to seminary. I don't know anything about, you know, uh, religious theory. I am just a lover of God, which I'm hoping you are. And if you are not, then I'm going to suggest that one day you might want to think about it because I'm going to bet you anything that there will be times in your life when no human being can help you. There will be times in your life where things are out of your control, out of everybody else's control, and the only one you can turn to is God. I will suggest that there will be times in your life when your hurt is so deep that the only one who can even understand where you don't understand is your Heavenly Father, your Divine Mother. And I have found in my experience that my Heavenly Father, my Divine Mama, is the best, the quintessential single parent who is always there for me. And so, um, and the reason I advocate that relationship is because it's not just because God always rescues me when I get, when I run my life off into the ditch. It is also because God is there to celebrate when things are going really, really well. And once you have that relationship, you will recognize those times when God gives you things that you didn't even dream about having. In all my dreams, I could sit, I have, I've had so many times where I think to myself, self, I could have spent a decade of Sundays dreaming about the perfect situation and I still could not have come up with anything as good or as wonderful as this. And those situations, I mean, it's like God pulls rabbits out of hats all day long. And just when I am thinking to myself, I can't even begin to imagine how you're going to fix this, God sits back and he chuckles and he says, huh, you think so? Watch this. And then he does something and I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, look at you. And so... It is a delightful, delightful relationship. So you have it, not for the things that you want, not for the things that you think you're going to get, but you have it because the beauty actually is in the relationship itself. It's just in engaging. And the thing about relationships is you've got to hold on to it whether things are going well or whether things are not going well. 
And if you commit, and that's where the title of this show comes, I want you to have the kind of relationship where you're not just going to God when you need stuff. You're not just going to God when things are great. You're not just going to God when you feel good about yourself. But you are also going to God when you have been really, really bad. I got this concept actually from a yogi by the name of Pramahansa Yogananda. And he was an advocate for truly seeking first that relationship with God. And he said, you know, you go to God every day, no matter what's going on. Naughty or good, you turn up and you just say, here I am. Yep, I did that dastardly thing, but here I am. Yep, I am the world's worst parent, but here I am. Yep, I am the world's worst spouse, but here I am. Yes, I cheated on that exam. Yes, I stole that whatever, but here I am. You show up anyway because you know what you did and God knows what you did too. And it's a hard thing to get to, but that's how you have a real relationship. There was a time when I had what I thought to be, personally, a very superficial relationship with God. And if I said the Lord's Prayer twice in a week, I was doing well. And uh, I, did go to fun- I did go to church consistently on Sundays, and I'd listen to the pastor tell me I was supposed to have this real relationship with God, and I'd just kind of think, mm, okay. And I didn't really know what that was. And then I fell into meditation. I don't think it was accidental. I think I was, I was God just kind of felt me questioning and looking for that better relationship, and I think he just found a way for me to get it. If I get into meditation, I'm sitting down in front of God. I get to the point where I'm trying to spend half an hour every morning and every night. And the one thing that's quirky about getting into a habit like that is now you can't be selective about when you come, right? If you're going to sit with God every morning and every night, which I highly recommend, even if it's for five minutes, just sit in silence and focus on God. You will find over time that the time that you sit there is going to lengthen and you're going to find it easier and easier to silence your mind and be still. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And that's a hard, hard thing to do. So I'm getting into the habit of meditation and it was difficult. But I stuck to it, and uh, I was going to this meditation group. I had lots of friends who cheered me on and gave me encouragement. It was great. And so I'm sitting there with the Lord. Unfortunately for me at the time, my marriage happened to be falling apart. So I'm I'm going to sit, and I'm trying to to be sort of buttoned down and and very holier than thou and and be politically correct with God, and I'm sitting there Oh, Lord, I love you. Yes, yes, you are amazing. Yes, yes, you are uh, glory. What, 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 what shall I say? Glory, honor, and, and dominion, and power. Yes, yes. And I'm trying to do that thing, right, that superficial thing with God. 
Our Father who art in heaven, yes, yes, hallowed be thy name. Indeed, indeed. You know, and I'm sitting there, you know, thinking about the Lord and trying to think these, you know, very sanctimonious and pure thoughts. Now, meanwhile, my life is falling apart. And, um, uh, you know, in hindsight, that, that divorce has brought lots and lots of great experiences, I must say. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But, uh, boy, have I been enriched. So I'm sitting there trying to do this holier-than-thou thing. And this one day, I just couldn't do it anymore. I sat down in front of my father, and the words, the, 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 the rhetoric just wouldn't come. I couldn't say the Lord's Prayer. I couldn't say any of the chants, any of the things that I had come to learn to say about the goodness of God and the blessings and how wonderful this was. I couldn't do it. And I sat there, and I think in my mind, I finally, it was like the door just opened. And what I understood was that I was not in an emotional, physical, or psychological place to do the rhetoric thing with God anymore. I had reached the end of my rope. I had no more holier than thou to say because I was I was in emotional turmoil. I was so angry about my situation and sitting there I realized the only person I was fooling was me. Because God already knew what I was going through. He knew more about what I was feeling than I did. And I finally just broke free and I thought, okay, if I'm supposed to have this authentic relationship with God, then okay, fine. I'm just going to tell you what I'm feeling right now. And I started with, I remember thinking in my head, God, I love you, but this sucks. (laughs) This point in my life really sucks. And I started to complain. And it was like this torrent of just anger and disappointment and hurt. And I just, I, there was just so much, I, I didn't even know what it was. And I just went on and on and on. I complained until I was empty. I complained until I could think of nothing else to say. And the funniest thing happened. As I sat there, I felt such a sense of peace. And I was afraid because I I was thinking, God is going to smite me. (laughs) He's going to be so mad at me for having said such irreverent things. He's going to strike me down dead right now. And but, but, but But it was such a terrible time in my life. I couldn't have cared less. I'm like, well, fine. You know, I might be too afraid to commit suicide, but you sure can come for me anytime you like because this sucks. And uh, I sat there and I just waited for the thunderbolt of God's wrath to strike me down cold. And instead, I felt this warm, tingly feeling all over. And I felt the presence of God, but he didn't smite me. He hugged me. That's what it felt like. I call it hugs. 
And uh, it's just, it, it's like goosebumps, but you're not cold. And you just feel the sense of peace in your heart. And you just, you close your eyes, but you can see the light that's just shining brightly all around you. And you can feel that God is there. And those of you who have ever felt God's presence, you know what I'm talking about because you can't mistake it for anything else in the world. There's nothing like it. And I felt God hug me in that moment and the love and the compassion and the joy was there. And it wasn't joy because my life sucked. It was joy because I had finally trusted God enough to just be honest about what I was feeling. And that's when I finally understood what love really was. And those of you who have children, I can equate it to this because you'll get this. Doesn't matter what your kids do. Doesn't matter if and you see it all the time. You see kids whose who, you see parents whose children have killed other children, parents whose children have, have have turned out to be serial killers and they've 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 turned into cannibals and they've eaten stuff that they shouldn't be eating. And you still see the parents and the parents will come and they say Oh, you know, he's such a good boy. He just made a mistake. And we're sitting there going, what? He's a terrorist. What do you mean he's a good boy? But that is the love of the parent, right? And that is the love that God has for us as his children. doesn't matter what you've done. And so after that, no matter what was going on in my life, especially if I'd been naughty, I would just go to God and confess. And I would show up and, you know, I might show up and I might say, well, um, you know, I really blew it. I blew it today. I did this and I did that. And uh, I have fallen short. I know it. But naughty or good, here I am. And here I am to love you anyway. Here I am to confess. Here I am to say I'm sorry. And sometimes I have to go do the hard stuff and go say I'm sorry to the person I did it to. And I might not want to do that, but I know I should. So I go off, I apologize. Whether, you know, sometimes I've had to apologize to my kids. I've had to apologize to people I love. I've had to apologize to my girlfriends. I've had to apologize to the spouse. I've had to apologize to the boyfriend. I mean, I have, had, I have apologized all over the place. I might have to go apologize to my boss for that thing I was supposed to do that I didn't get done and... Um, that just fell off, just fell by the wayside. But in the end, naughty or good, here I am. I show up anyway. And I have found that there is always growth in that relationship. When I can say, naughty, especially naughty, I've been naughty, I've been bad, I have sinned, I have fallen short, oh my I'm so ashamed, but I love you, God, and here I am. That's where I can find forgiveness. It's where I can find a direct path out of whatever it is that I've fallen into. And sometimes if it's a series of things that I struggle with, the closest thing that I've ever come to having an addiction is I I have struggled with food over the years. And... um, I don't, I, on most days, I don't look like I struggled with food because I'm not obese or anything. Um, but, you know, I think most people seem to struggle to some degree or another with their desire to eat. And some people are so disciplined, they have found a way 
to overcome it because, you know, they eat a piece of cake and they go and they run 10 miles. Or they go and they cycle 20. Or they've gotten so into the habit of cycling in part because, you know, they like to eat. But that's the closest thing to an addiction I have come to. And there are days where I feel like I've eaten everything under the sun. I got on uh, first-name basis with my friend Virgil, who was the guy, uh, he was the cashier at the Krispy Kreme donut shop at Victoria Station in London when I lived there for two months. And Virgil and I became good friends, and uh, you can kind of think of the reason why that was. I gained more weight during that time than I had ever weighed in my life. And every day I would sit before God and I'd feel horrible, right? I'd feel like a glutton and I'd think, oh, God, he's gluttony. Oh, no, I'm a glutton. You know, naughty, here I sit. And uh, I've done, you know, worse things <laughs> over the course of my life. And I've come to God and I've always had to say, Lord, I love you, but I've fallen short again. I'm going to try again tomorrow, but I need your help. And uh, some days were better than others. And uh, for the most part, I, I've, I've done pretty well. But, um, you know, for all of us, there are those things. And there are those days where we just felt like, woo, Lord Jesus, help me. But I feel so ashamed. I feel like Adam and Eve in the garden. I want to go hide. I want to go hide my nakedness. Because, you know, I've noticed that I'm naked because I've been doing stuff I wasn't supposed to be doing. And now I see it. And so my encouragement to you is, at the end of the day, whatever it is, whether you are angry, whether you are hurting, whether you are mad, and I say this as somebody who has been through all of those experiences, I lost my father in 2008. And I, as close as I had become, uh, as I had gotten to God, I had nothing to say. I complained the first day. Why did he have to go now? Why did you take my father away? Why couldn't you have waited until I took the girls home to see him this Christmas? Why, 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 why? And, um, you know, in, in all of my complaining, I do remember, as I said, you know, why couldn't you have waited? And, and that still small voice that I recognized as the Holy Spirit said, well, when would you have liked me to take him? And I realized there would have never been a time that it was okay from my earthly father to be taken away. Never. And I understood. I understood that he was not created for my pleasure. <laughs> he was not created for my timeline. He was not created on my timeline. So when it was his time to go, it was his time to go. And interestingly, he was ready to go. He prepared to go. He knew he told the people around him he was going, and he was calm and he was ready. So who was I to complain, right? But even though I knew that, I was still, I had nothing to say to God. After all my complaining and after I realized that there was no answer that would ever be enough. And that's what I would say just as an aside to those of you who are going through really horrible stuff. You've lost a loved one. You've got some dreaded disease. Don't bother looking for answers, because there will never be an answer that will ever be good enough. Even if God himself came down and told you the truth about that situation, there will never, and for many of us, we know the answer, you know, he was sick, and he had a heart attack. That was the obvious answer. Why? Well, apparently it was his time to go. Why? 
Well, maybe God had other things for his soul to do. I don't know. But whatever the reason, there was never going to be a good enough answer. So don't bother asking why. Just see the thing for what it is. But, you know, in that moment, I said to my heavenly father, for having, having taken away my earthly father, I said to him, you know, I'm not even angry with you because I get it um, and I understand, but I just don't have anything to say to you right now. So if you will just give me some space to work through this time of not having anything to say to you, I will come back. I love you, God. I still love you. I just don't have anything to say to you right now. I don't, I don't, I don't have anything that I can pray for. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> and so I just need you to give me some space so I can just stay and spend some time in this place of nothingness right now. And God gave me the space. And when I finally did have something to say two weeks later, I had a prayer, and it started out with just a short prayer, and we resumed our relationship. But at the end of the day, All I want you to remember is from one lover of God to another, hold on to that relationship, and no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're feeling, hold on to it and you keep coming back to it. Naughty or good, no matter what is going on in your life, always go back to your father. So join me next week when we'll be talking about something completely unrelated. But until then, this is USA. Naughty or good, you show up before your father and you say, here I am. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.